Let's get a running start into this. We are in Romans chapter 15, and we are going to finish this chapter today. Just for the sake of context, I'm going to go ahead and read some of the verses we covered last week, and then we'll kind of get into an intro for what we have this week. It's not going to come up on the screen, but I just thought it would be good to um, read. And what I'm going to do is start in Romans 15. If you have a Bible, um, you can follow along with me in verse number 17. It says, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written... To whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. And so Paul is explaining his ministry as a pioneering church planter, taking the gospel to regions that had not previously had any access to the gospel, and committing that his ministry will be a ministry that will not build on the foundation of somebody else's ministry, that he will go start and lay new foundations and lead new people to Christ and start new churches. And so Paul's ministry as the missionary is described very clearly in, that, um, in those verses. In verse 22 continuing, it says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, speaking to the Romans, but now having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. And so we ended last week talking about Paul's great desire to eventually get the chance to go visit these saints in Rome. And that he's very busy with the ministry and he doesn't just have time to take off and go travel. So he was um, gonna, on his way for his next planned journey, heading even further westward to Spain, he thought, hey, I'll stop in Rome for a little while and I'll have some time together with them. So this idea continues as we continue today. And so last week, when we spent all that time talking about Paul's model for missions, that Paul, mod and the Bible says to follow Paul, that his model was not to build on another man's foundation, that he would go in new places and start new works with new people that have never heard. And, and if you were here as I was emphasizing that point, maybe, I don't know, maybe it made you a little nervous. Maybe it made you feel like, okay. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, there's not many of those places left. And really, I'm probably not going anywhere. And if that kind of made you feel a little uneasy for any reason last week, let me just say relax. Hopefully we helped you relax last week. Relax, uh, because the passage continues. And the passage, as it continues today into the end of Romans 15, really gives for us then the responsibilities that we have, those of us especially that aren't called to be pioneering church planters in new areas, right? And certainly not everybody is called to do that. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 6 through 10 very clearly state this. Paul says, I've planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Amen. Everybody knows that. Somebody's going to start the work. Somebody's going to continue the work. If there is any growth, it's God who gets the glory for it. It's not for any of us, right? So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Remember, Paul said, I'm not going to even dare to speak of things that God didn't do through me. Every man will receive his own, according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry, you're God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, specifically, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. But there are other people who fall in the category that goes on and says, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So for most of us, we're in the category of building on somebody else's foundation. Most of us are going to continue to build on something that has already been existing. So if we are not personally going to be the ones that volunteer to go and to start new works in new places, then we need to be prepared to do the thing God asked for us to do. And one thing is certain, that God does expect for all of us as born-again Christians 
to seriously take the one job that he has given us to do, and that's the Great Commission. Last week we saw in Ephesians 4 in verse number 1 that we are to walk worthy of the vocation, the job that God has given us to do. And certainly that is to get the gospel all around the world. So if we are not going to be the ones to specifically go and start new works in new places, then the question I have for us all is this. How can we help support those that go to pioneer the gospel into new areas? And that's what we're going to see today. Because God directs some to go, but there are others who are directed to stay right here, and we need to better understand our role as what I will call missionary senders. So the title of today's message is The Duty of a Sender, and I'm going to continue to read starting in verse number 25 down to the end of the chapter. You can follow with me. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I am coming to you, I shall come in the fullness and the blessing of the gospel of Christ." Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that it may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may, be, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so what we see in this passage are two very clear things that somebody who is fulfilling the role of a sender has to do. And the first one that we see is that of financial provision. And that's what we see from verses 25 to 29. Now, historically speaking, after the Jews' final rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, officially rejected for the third and last time, three strikes you're out, that occurred in Acts chapter 7 with the rejection and the stoning of Stephen, What happened is that God then immediately directed the gospel to go directly to the Gentile nations. It went to Samaria. There was the Ethiopian eunuch. The Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the apostle Paul, is saved. The gospel, through Peter, uh, goes to the centurion, uh, the Roman centurion. And so we, we see all of these things going on as the gospel works its way away from Jerusalem. What happens is, is that God is also removing his blessing from Israel. And what followed shortly after that time was a great famine in the Middle East and in Israel. And what happened was is that even the believers who had believed in Jesus Christ that still resided in the Jerusalem area were suffering from some tremendous poverty. So what happened was, as Paul's traveling on his journeys, he's aware of the poverty back in Jerusalem, which is a direct result of God pulling his blessings away from a nation of people who have rejected him, case in point that he is now gathering offerings from some of the churches that he's establishing on his journeys toward the European continent. And so specifically, as mentioned in this context, the churches of Macedonia, that would be like Philippi or Thessaloniki, Thessalonica, and Achaia, which is the southern portion of Greece, which would be like Athens or Corinth, they sent money to help. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first couple of verses, where Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. Those are those of Achaia, and he's bragging about the Macedonians and their generosity. Then you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the first couple of verses, and he basically tells them that when he was in Macedonia, he was bragging about the Achaeans, and he was bragging about their generosity as well, because there were churches in this Greek Balkan peninsula that were generous and willing to send relief back to Jerusalem for the saints that were suffering. So the offering that was gathered was sent to Jerusalem from these Gentile believers, and Paul was the the messenger. Paul was the one who was going to carry the gift. It It was literally relief. It was benevolence. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 16 gives us very specifically what happened, verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality, your offering, unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So Paul basically offers and he says, Hey guys, look, the, the saints at Jerusalem need help. If you take up an offering to help them, we'll get whoever you choose, we can send it. If you need me to go with them, I'll go with them. So historically, that's what's going on. And at the end of Romans 15, we see 
that Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem with the offerings that were gathered from these Gentile churches. Now, practically speaking, practically speaking, inspirationally, I mean, what does that mean to me today? How can I apply this in my life today? Well, let's just talk a little bit about New Testament giving as Christian people. Well, there's two categories of biblical New Testament giving. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about how New Testament giving is all about the local church ministry where you exist. That would be to cover the expenses of paying for your pastors. If if they labor in the word and doctrine, then then you should provide for their physical living, right? It talks about the ministries that are are done by a local ministry. It could be your facilities and buildings and all these sort of things. That's one category, your local ministry that you're involved in. And then the other category is missions. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about helping people in other places and other locations that are not here directly a part of what we're doing. And the good news for all of you here at First Baptist Church is you have, through this church, the opportunity to participate in all of those different kinds of offerings should you choose to do that. Generally, practically speaking, what Paul is doing is he's carrying out a ministry that is going to directly benefit other people. There are people that are in need, and Paul goes to assist them in their need. He goes as the official representative of a group of churches who cannot physically go and administer the help on their own. That's missions. That's what a missionary does. He is the representative of a group of churches. He goes to a place where there's a need, and he goes and represents the people who who don't have the opportunity to go and to do that themselves. So what's emphasized, practically speaking, from this passage of Scripture is giving to missions, financial support to the ministry that goes beyond our borders. And literally, there are three principles outlined in these verses that follow. So the principles of missionary giving, first and foremost, is that it should be cheerful. It should be cheerful. In verse number 26, it says that it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It goes on in verse 27. It hath pleased them verily. We don't use that word verily that much, right? But it comes from that Latin word veritas, truthfully. It truly pleased them. They were truly happy to give it. That's the kind of giving God desires, right? They, they didn't feel pressure. They didn't feel obligation. They didn't feel guilted. It was a free will gift. They wanted to give to help the people who were in need. 2 Corinthians 9, verse number 7, very clearly says, Every man according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. Why? For God loveth a cheerful giver. And so when you have opportunity to give and to help, listen, don't feel like anybody's trying to twist your arm. If you feel that way, then I apologize for that. Nobody intends to make you feel that way. The Lord desires for you, and he rejoices when you can give and when you can give cheerfully. I don't know if you all experience that joy or wonder what that's all about, but there is a real refreshing, there is a real joy in being able to give. The Lord Jesus is quoted as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you have this opportunity to give to missions and see God do things around the world, it is awesome. It's great. It's a blessing. It's a joy. And part of the reason why is the second principle of missionary giving. Not only should it be cheerful, it's, it's also reciprocal. It's reciprocal. And that's based on the words we see in verse number 27. It says, and their debtors, they are. So these Gentiles have a debt. Okay, it says, if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual, they are the Jews, spiritual things, their duty, there it is again, is also to minister unto them in carnal things. So that word, duty, to return to them the physical blessing, it's interesting because that word is translated some different ways throughout the New Testament. It's translated ought. It's translated o, O O-W-E, not (laughs) O-H. It's translated bound. I'm bound to do something. Uh, It's translated do benevolence. There's a duty. There's a requirement that is called for. So the the issue that we're dealing with here is sharing spiritual versus physical blessings with one another. Okay, so again, as we look at this, the idea is this. If you receive one and have the ability, give the other, 
right? If you receive one, then give the other. Historically speaking, the gospel comes to the Gentiles through the Jews. Even Paul is a Jew, right? He's of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, the gospel, the word of God was the oracles of God are committed to the Jews, right? And so they bring the gospel ultimately to the Gentile world. And the Gentiles understood this and they sense this debt. It's a debt of gratitude. They don't literally owe them like to pay a bill. They owe like a debt of gratitude. They're humbled by the fact that others have brought this great blessing spiritually to their lives and they desire to give back. Therefore, they're willingly, cheerfully, willing to do that according to their means. This principle is throughout the scripture. It is nothing new. We see it with the Levites. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, chapter 18, when the Levites of the tribes were established to do the work of the tabernacle, verses 23 and 24. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel, they, the Levites, have no inheritance, no land grant, no place to set up home. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So the primary duty of the work of the Levites as a tribe in Israel was to minister the things of God and take care of the tabernacle or the temple when it was built and to intercede for the people of God to do that spiritual service. And as a result, God says, look, you're going to be spread throughout all the tribes because all the tribes need priests and Levites to help them. So there is no specific land where all the Levites live then there wouldn't be service for everybody else. So he tells all the other tribes, you're going to contribute, and of your tithes, the Levites are going to live. It's the same principle. It's the same principle in the New Testament with the apostles. When Jesus Christ first sends out his disciples and their first called apostles, he expected that as they went out preaching the gospel, they would also then receive the means by which they would survive physically. Matthew 10, 11 through 14. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your, your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, in other words, like hospitality, into their home to take care of you, nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet." And so the idea was very simple. It's in fact reestablished in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 11, the same principle. Paul says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? And so Paul, again, representing a leader, an apostle, a, a ministry uh, leader, one who would spread the gospel of Christ to other people, he's like, look, if we're bringing you spiritual blessings, it's only right that you would return the physical blessings. That's that's the way it's always been. That's the way it continues to be. So the principle that I want you to understand, the principle that's set forth in the scriptures and this idea of giving cheerfully and giving under this idea of reciprocal giving is this idea of equality. Equality. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. And we're jumping around in Corinthians, especially 2 Corinthians like 8 and 9, because those are two of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, specifically the New Testament for sure, on the idea of giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. In other words, Paul makes it very clear to them. He says, look, I'm not saying you guys need to sacrifice and give and give and give so that some lazy schmucks on the other side of the world can just sit back and drink lemonade and have a good time and say, thanks, Americans, appreciate it. No, he says that's not the idea, right? That's not what he's saying. I'm not saying that other men be eased and ye burdened, but notice, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and that their abundance also may be a supply for your want or lack, that there may be equality. And so that's the principle. Again, the spiritual and the physical are given reciprocally so that each gets something that they don't have in exchange for something that they have in abundance, and that's reciprocal giving. And the last principle of giving we see in verse number 28, and that's fruitful. It's fruitful. Verse 28, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. 
So this monetary gift is equated to fruit in your heavenly account. That's nothing new. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 through 17 says this. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So Paul's looking back, and he's so thankful for the church in Philippi, which is in the region of Macedonia. And he's like, when I was there and when I left, really nobody, nobody thought about me. Nobody took care of me. Nobody sent me a gift. Nobody sent anything to me about what, Paul? Well, I'm talking about money. <laughs> I'm talking about giving and receiving. You're the only ones that did that. I'm so thankful for you. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. But he says this. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And Paul understood the principle that if we give to supply the need of the minister of the gospel, and specifically people who are in need, people who are in other places, people who are in places that cannot provide for themselves physically. It may be against the law. It may be impossible. It may be too poverty-stricken, but they need the gospel. So somebody's willing to go. Man, we need to give. We need to help them. And if we will do that, Paul says, wow, if you will send to my need to help me get the gospel to people, that equates to fruit, to your spiritual account. So again, it's reciprocal. Listen, you need to understand this. As a missionary sender, as one who gives, who's going to practice the idea of equality, as a missionary sender, you give the fruit of your hard work and receive the fruit of the missionary's hard work. So generally speaking, and I'm not trying to discount the fact that we also have spiritual fruit because of our hard work in ministry. Of course we do. But the fruit of our hard work, most all of us work very hard at the jobs that we have. Most all of us make a very good living. And you might say, well, I'm just scraping along. Well, on the world standard, you're in the United States of America. You make a very good living. You are rich in the eyes of the world, okay? So we have an abundance of financial resources. We really do. Now, we enjoy what we enjoy, and we live very comfortably. I'm not begrudging anybody that. I am saying that we have an abundance of what we have because we've worked very hard to get it. But people on the other side of the world sometimes don't have those, that abundance, but you know what they, they do have? Frequently, they have spiritual fruit if nothing else, disciples of Jesus Christ of those people groups all over the world. We don't have that. Now, we might have disciples of Jesus Christ from Tuscarawas County, and that's awesome. We should. But we don't necessarily have disciples of Jesus Christ directly through our ministry in all the different continents of the world unless you contribute, and then it becomes fruit to your account. Because the hard work of the missionary is to make disciples of the people where he serves, right? And so, again, it's this exchange. It's this equality. Paul lived his life as a life of faith. Notice in verse number 29. It's a statement of faith. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Well, that hadn't happened yet, and he didn't know if that was going to happen. In fact, Paul had a pretty rocky road between the time he wrote this and by the time he ever showed up in Rome. Uh, things weren't always the fullness of the joy of the blessing of the gospel. Paul had some tough times. But the truth of the matter is he makes this declarative statement. He makes the statement by faith. And you know what? That's what a missionary does. A missionary has to live that. Well, we all should. But a missionary has to live their life by faith. They are not aware of how things are going to be provided for them, but that can't stop them. They've got to go forward anyway. They've got to go forward believing that that is what God is going to do. And I'm going to tell you something. When you meet people like that, and we here work very hard to screen and get to know our missionaries so that you can confidently know that these are men and women who sacrifice and walk with God, and we believe in their walk with God. And that, listen, that is a cause that you can joyfully invest in. That's something that you can get behind and you can say, wow, these guys are trusting the Lord. And you know what happens when you give your gifts and you trust the Lord as they are trusting the Lord and they don't know how or where their provision is coming from? They're trusting that the Lord will provide 
their provision through us, through others. I don't know. But our gift causes the missionary and the the people who receive it to glorify God and to give much thanks unto God. And that's our goal, right? That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 11 to 14. He says, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service, he's talking about giving in the context, not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. We bring missionaries here to visit you. We have a conference every year. We, we allow people to get up here and to just share with you the blessings of their ministry, the fruit of their ministry to give you vision, to help you be encouraged. But those guys and, and those ladies, literally, they, they come to say thank you. And they mean it. They, they genuinely are grateful to God and they're grateful to God for you. Because together we form a partnership. And there is no greater thing that everybody just do exactly what God calls them to do. And the first thing that we see in this passage, again, right on the heels of the prescription for the individual who will be the pioneer missionary, then we see the duty or the prescription for the one that will be the sender. It's a perfect package. So the next thing that would be expected, not, not, not only the financial provision, is the second point, and that's fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. And he says, starting in verse number 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You strive in your prayers. That word strive, to struggle to work, to labor. So prayer is hard work. But you know that already, don't you? You know that because every time you sit down to pray and you say, man, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over this list. I'm going to pray for my friends. I'm going to pray for people who need to get saved. I'm going to pray for missionaries. I'm going to pray for needs. And you carve out a time and you're about to do it. Just about the time you're going to get started, a whole bunch of things enter your mind like, all those little things you needed to do and never did, all those little things that needed done around the house, all those little honeydew items, you know, that your wife's asking you to get done, and all of a sudden, after months of forgetting all those things, you think, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it right now. And you go and you do all those other things, and what doesn't get done, sometimes frequently, is the prayer. Because prayer is hard work. I gathered a few quotes from some famous people throughout the history of the church. A man named Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds has written volumes on prayer, some great, great works. He said this, The lazy man does not, will not, and cannot pray, for prayer demands energy. Oswald Chambers said this, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. The great missionary Hudson Taylor, he said this, I've seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it, but I've never seen a man pray without working. And John Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. You know, prayer is hard work, and when Paul says, I want you to strive, I beseech you, that you would strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He knows it's hard work, and he says, strive together with me. So there's this idea of, of doing it together, praying together, agreeing together. Too often, people flippantly ask others to pray for them. And please understand what I'm trying to say, but frequently people have problems, and they'll just say, hey, pray for me, will you? And they certainly do that with me a lot as a pastor, and that's fine, and I'm happy to pray for you. But sometimes it crosses my mind, and I don't usually say this out loud, but I think it. So they say, hey, will you pray for me? 
And, and I think to say, well, I will if you will. In other words, there are some people who just feel like there are certain Christians who got the red phone, the hotline into God, you know what I mean? And if I can get that guy to pray for me, stuff's going to happen. But, you know, if I pray or not, I mean, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, I'm happy to pray not just for you. I'm happy to pray with you, with you. Let's pray together. That's what Paul says. Look, I'm not asking you to do the prayer part while I go out and do the evangelism part. He said, we're all, we're all in this together. I'm praying too, you know. And it's hard work for me too, and we're all going to do this. So historically speaking, again, we just go back to the text in the second half of this passage, and we're going to see a few different things. But historically speaking, verse 31 starts out with this. Pray for me how? That I may be delivered from them which do not believe in Judea. So Paul makes his way back to Israel and Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. And what happens? He's arrested. But the truth of the matter is, as you continue the narrative through the book of Acts, you find out that in a little bit of time, he's released from jail. So he was delivered from the hands of those people. That prayer request was answered. Praise the Lord. Then he goes on in verse 31. It says, And that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. So he brings the, the gift and he's praying. He said, please pray. Maybe, maybe the Jews had a problem with pride. Maybe there was still some anger in their ethnocentrism. I don't know. Maybe they, he was afraid they wouldn't actually receive the monetary gift, but they did. So that prayer was answered. That prayer, two, two for two. And the last thing in verse 32, he says, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. Yeah, well, that kind of didn't happen. Because, again, we don't have time for this, but the story throughout the book of Acts is over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit kept warning Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. There's bonds and chains that wait you in Jerusalem. And Paul's kind of stubborn. Paul's like, I'm doing it. I'm going anyway. Now, you can argue about, you know, how, if that was a good idea or not. Ultimately, God gets the glory. Ultimately, God used it. Paul ultimately ended up in Rome. But how did he end up in Rome? With joy in the will of God? No. No, he was a prisoner in shackles. And he was on, under house arrest when he was in Rome. And he was out of the will of God, at least on that journey. And so, you know, it didn't really work out that way. That's how it plays out historically, literally, if you just want to understand the text. But practically is what I want us to really get. Inspirationally for our lives. Because spiritually speaking, the big offering the missionary has for the people is the gospel. Okay, it's not always just a monetary gift, right? I mean, that's a blessing at times. But the big offering for the people is the gospel. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 5. Again, this is the story where John the Baptist sends his messengers to ask Jesus, hey, are you really the guy? John's in jail. He's doubting. Okay, and Jesus responds, go tell John this. What have you seen? The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor get a lot of money given to them. No, that's not what he says. He says, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. So we have a picture. We have an illustration. Literally, the poor saints in Jerusalem received a monetary offering to their assistance, and they received it, and that was awesome. But really, the principle God wants to get through to us is the poor equate to the poor in spirit, and they have the gospel preached unto them. And what we need to do is we need to labor in our prayers together with our missionaries. Now, I don't know if you all keep this or not. I, I brought mine. I keep it by my desk at, at work here upstairs. And uh, this is the quarterly missionary prayer request report that we make available for you. And we always stick it in the bulletin at the beginning of every quarter. And this one's for April, May, and June. And we've got the different missionaries that we partner with that are listed on every different day throughout a 31-day month calendar. And every month you can go through it again on day number one of a month. For example, we're praying for the Sigafuses in Germany. Uh, that would be tomorrow. And then day number two in Israel, day number three in Thailand, and so forth, and all the way down. At the end of the month, the days that we just finished, we had James DeCoker. He's going to be speaking at camp. Uh, we've had Deb Fox in Czech Republic. We've had Brian and Mindy Clark in England. And I don't know if you have one of these. You can get them. They're out in the lobby. But you should have them, and you should pray for them, and you should pray for your missionaries. We should labor together with them as our partners. Listen, if we're in this together with them, we should give financially, and we should pray fervently. This is part of our duty as a sender so that we can do that. 
I love what Samuel said, 1 Samuel 12, 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. And so, listen, we need to not sin against the Lord. We need to to not cease praying. We need to continue to pray always. That's an important thing. And so in this passage of Scripture, we can learn some principles on how we can better pray for our missionaries. So how to pray for your missionaries. Number one, again, verse number 31, (coughs) excuse me, pray for protection. That would be the delivery of the offering. Again, remember, historically, Paul said, hey, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Missionaries often have a lot of hindrances to keep them from actually delivering the offering. The offering, again, in a spiritual context, is the gospel, right? There's a lot of things that can hinder that. There's a lot of missionaries in restricted access countries that face real affrontal persecution to getting the gospel out. There's a lot of governments that just put so much red tape in front of a missionary that they can't maneuver all of the hindrances that are legal stumbling blocks in front of them. A lot of them just have financial hindrances. A lot of them just have social pressures that they have to deal with. A lot of them have health issues. Listen, there's all kind of pressures and difficulties and things that can pop up that can, that can hinder a person's ability. Some are just circumstantial. And things that come up, we need to pray fervently for and with our missionaries that they have the ability to actually deliver the message. That's an important thing. This theme is all through the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Notice, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So there will be people that will hinder the spreading of the gospel. For example, Jesus talked about a group as such in Luke chapter 11 and verse 52. It says, Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. So these lawyers are the kind of people that would have studied the law of the Old Testament, and they would have stood there as though they were somebody special and basically blocking the doorway of true salvation. They didn't enter in themselves, and they blocked the way for other people to get in because they spent so much time arguing about details, they never just clearly presented the truth. They were an hindrance. They were unreasonable and wicked men. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And that's really important. So Paul frequently says, hey, pray that the message gets delivered. That's a really important thing. And the delivery of the message is critically important because the principle in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven... And returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So this is an important prayer request, right? This is repeated over and over again throughout the scriptures. We have an enemy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, Wherefore we would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So Satan is the spiritual force behind any of these other circumstantial things that would hinder somebody's ability to propagate the message of Jesus Christ. So pray with and for our missionaries for protection, for delivery of the message. That's what we need to pray for. Listen, there are too many people in this world's population today that have never one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray that the message is delivered to each and every one and that God's word would do the work that it was sent out to do. The second thing we need to pray for is fruit, and that would be the reception of the offering. The reception. Again, verse 31, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. So just like we know, okay, communication does not really occur simply 
by somebody talking. I get up here in front of y'all, and you're quiet and respectful, but just because I'm talking doesn't necessarily mean that we're communicating, right? I mean, it only occurs when the hearer actually hears the message and understands it. So similarly speaking, spiritual fruit doesn't occur when we simply deliver the message. Spiritual fruit occurs when the hearer receives it. Spiritual fruit does not occur until the person who hears it personally accepts it and receives it. We see that throughout. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, speaking of Jesus Christ. That was the true light, capital L, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own, the Jews in other words, received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Who are those that become the sons of God? Well, those that receive him. Acts 26, verse 18. Paul giving his testimony and talking about his ministry. What's it all about? He says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. They need to receive it. And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Why? What does it do? Well, it effectually worketh also in you that believe. So that's what needs to take place. And contrarywise, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, why are they going to perish? Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So we need to labor together with our missionary partners that God will deliver them from unreasonable and wicked men, that he would deliver the message clearly to the people who need to hear it, but that the people then themselves would actually hear and understand and receive it. We're sending our youth off to camp. We need to pray all week long these same prayer requests, that the message is delivered clearly without hindrance and that those people would hear, every individual would hear the message clearly and receive it, right? These are biblical prayer requests. That's what we need to pray for. Listen, everybody has a free will. Everybody can decide whether or not they want to accept or reject it. So let's pray they accept it. That's a prayer request. The last prayer request, refreshing the satisfaction of the accomplishment. Verse number 32 says the same thing. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Because the fact of the matter is, the work of the ministry is tiring. I mean, it just is. He says, let's do our best, you know. Try to not be weary in well-doing. Why did he have to say that in verse number 9 if it wasn't the tendency that the work of the ministry is tiring? I mean, it's real work. If you're going to be effective in ministry, it's hard work, and it's particularly stressful. I mean, if you care about the people you're ministering to, it's particularly stressful. I mean, why is that? Well, a few verses prior in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. How many burdens of others do you think you can bear before you feel all beat down. Okay, so the more responsibility that a particular individual minister has, probably the more burdens they are bearing for many other people. And the more burdens they are bearing for other people, the, the heavier and heavier the load feels on them as individuals. So Paul says, man, pray for me that I eventually get to hang out with you guys and get to be refreshed. Because the work is tiring. I mean, it really, really is. And anybody who does it, myself included, and everybody I know, if they're honest, they will tell you. It wears you out. It beats you down. And it's hard. I mean, it's a hard thing. Can you imagine the burden or the stress that the Apostle Paul carried? I mean, really? With all the influence that he had with so many people, 
He himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that he looked forward to the chance to be refreshed with his friends. And it's much more than just time off. I mean, it's more than just having a vacation. It comes to the point of having the joy and the satisfaction of the accomplishment of knowing that you have accomplished God's will and you share that time of refreshing together with other servants who also are accomplishing God's will and together you can refresh one another. That's very necessary. Finishing your task and rejoicing together with others who share the same ministry load. Listen, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I just want you to know that pastors and missionaries frequently are some of the most lonely people you've ever known. I mean, we stand up here and, and we do okay in front of a crowd, but a lot of times we have real, real, real struggle one-on-one. And when I constantly receive the prayer requests and the needs and, and the people come to me with things, and I'm glad you do, and I'm glad to help every way that I can, but sometimes it gets really tricky for me. How in the world am I going to offload on you? Because that becomes a real challenge. And I'm speaking for anybody generally, but I can speak in the first person because I know me, okay? But I mean, this is a real challenge, and it's really hard. And let me just tell you, rare is the church that really understands that as a body and really takes strides to do what they need to do to help to care for their leaders and their spiritual um, mentors and people to help them find the refreshing that they need. It's a hard, hard deal. I find refreshment in the fact that the Apostle Paul looked forward to it. It's a serious, serious issue. It's so much so that in several places, and we're not going to take a lot of time, but I gave you some references here where Paul mentions by name different people and he praises them for offering spiritual refreshing to the ministers of Christ. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 17 and 18, he calls out Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus. And he's like, these guys are awesome, man. They have often refreshed my spirit. And he's like, when, when they get to your town, man, treat them good. These are good guys. 2 Corinthians 7, he's talking about the church there. We were comforted in your comfort. He says, Titus, when Titus was with you, his spirit was refreshed by you all. Good job. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 15 to 18. He talks about a couple of guys who didn't do so good, Phagellus and Hermogenes. Then he says, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Why? For he oft refreshed me. He says in the little book of Philemon, Paul writes to his personal friend Philemon, and he says, wow, thank you. He said, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Listen, these are guys that are praised for having this ability to refresh other people in the work of the Lord. Again, it's not just time off. It's literally having the joy of accomplishment in God's will together and then just being able to offload a little bit of the stress so we need to pray not only for the delivery of the message not only for the reception of the message but we need to pray for the refreshing of the messenger right so that they don't get burned out and quit these three things we see in this text these three things are biblical prayer requests and so if we will agree together with one another And if we will agree together with God, we know they're biblical, God said so, then you know what's going to happen? Well, God's going to hear and God's going to answer, right? According to the promise of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, well, if it's in his word, it's according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, because we just asked according to his will, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And so, if we agree together, together with God and his word, we can confidently, by faith, say, God's going to do this. So let's pray the message is delivered. Let's pray people receive it. Let's pray that messengers are refreshed. And let's rejoice when it all happens and not be shocked and surprised. Listen, it's very interesting because for those of us in modern North America wealthy country that we live in, okay? Probably, arguably, the two things that we value most are our time and our money. Wouldn't you say? I mean, I would. 
Our time and our money, I mean, that's way up there, okay? Our families, of course. But listen, what does God specifically ask of the pioneer missionary church planter? Well, go where Christ is not named and don't build on another man's foundation and live by faith because you have no idea what's out there anyway. But we're all in this together, and the Great Commission is for all of us, and specifically whether God called you or gave you grace to be the goer, we all have to participate. So the rest of us that are senders, what does God expect of you? Well, God expects of you to give up the things that are the most valuable things to you. Your time, your prayers, okay? Take time away from other things and fervently pray and your money, your hard-earned money for a cause that is greater than yourself. That's what God says. And if we will all do this, we are literally, we are all partners together. Listen, I'm going to tell you, for some people, giving of the time and giving of the money is so hard, they'd rather just be the guy that goes. That might sound funny to you, but I'm serious. For some people, they're like, I'll just go. It's okay. Well, that's a special grace that God gives them. But for the rest of us, we also need grace to manage the things that God has given us. And by the way, it is a demonstration of our love for Christ. It is a demonstration of our faith in him that we are willing to, of our own free wills, set aside those things that we value so much and invest them in eternity and God's mission. That's, that's a really important deal. So the questions that I have for you are very simple. Questions of application. Which one are you going to be? Because there's only two choices. Will you be a pioneer missionary? Or will you be a pioneer missionary sender? The third option is, if you say no thank you to both of those, um, well then, you're a carnal Christian disobedient to God. Assuming you don't want that, will you be a pioneer missionary? Or will you be a pioneer missionary sender? This is our choice. This is our invitation. This is our response before the Lord right now. Who's ready to do whatever God would have them to do? Let's pray together.